okay, you guys, I had it down. I spent hours online, you know, you can Google just about anything these days, studying what kind of tree I wanted to put in my yard. We had a tree die, I had to take it out, it was gone. I was like, I'm going to get the perfect tree. So I settled on a maple, and I went to the, the special nursery store in town, the purple one, and, and, and I went there and walked around with the specialist lady. She was so nice. She showed me like 10,000 trees. And I picked the one that was the most beautiful, I thought, with a leaf. You got to come over to my house, check it out. Well, you would be able to because I planted the thing. I dug the hole, you know, I got rid of the roots of the old tree. Nice. I worked on it. I knew I needed this much space, you know, three feet or whatever it is around. You're digging, you're sweating, and then you put in the soil mix. It's just going to be perfect for it. And you put that tree in there. Over the couple weeks, months, whatever, it lost all its leaves because that's what it was supposed to do, I guess. But then, now that just a couple weeks ago, it budded back. These beautiful leaves came out. It was amazing. I was patting myself on the back. The money, the overpriced payment that I made to buy the silly tree. And then, just last week, the deer came. The deer came. It ate it all. Well, there's a little tuft at the top, you know, it'll probably go back. Now, when I say that to you guys, probably you're saying, Dad, you just missed a little piece of your research. If you would have done a little more, you'd know to put the little fence around it or something or shock something to keep the deer away. There's something else we can do. I can handle that next problem. I can handle the next problem. I can... No, no, no. The issue is this. Because we're in Ecclesiastes, and if you have your Bibles and want to turn there, we are in this amazing book of the Bible from the wisest man ever, is that it kind of just goes away. It's like your life is a sandcastle at the ocean, and you build something beautiful, and it washes away. And that's what we've been seeing in Ecclesiastes, the reality of life, it's really not for the faint of heart. Ecclesiastes like punches you in the chest and says, you know what, I'm not sure the meaning of your life is, is really what you think it is. And I've, I've spent all this time, all these years, all these things. And, and then life's not going like it reasonably ought to go. That's what we've been looking at. I really honestly would rather not look at it. In many ways, we do this book, but I... I I would prefer to sort of live in a little bubble of unreality. Thinking things work out well if I do them well. Kind of thinking things ought to go as I think they should go. You know, if I was a good parent, then my kids will appreciate and love me forever because I, I sacrificed for them. If I think that, that I worked hard, I should have the results of my labor and I should enjoy a good retirement. If I, if I um, worked hard at being healthy my life, I should never get cancer or struggle with my health. I want to live in that bubble. And the word of God won't let you. That's a bummer for my system. The wisest man ever is painting this picture for us. And I'd really rather not look. You know, I, 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 I don't look at a lot of things. God's in charge. God's, isn't God sovereign? Isn't he in charge? Do you know today in the world there are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people who are starving? There are people dying as we speak in conflicts around the globe. There are treasured children and treasured adults who are dying of cancer. Is God really in charge? Yes, he is. Well, I don't want to look too hard at that stuff. 
There's physical abuse that happens with people. There's emotional abuse that happens with people. There's oppression and disease. My life is never what I hoped it would be. And, but, but, and I, and I want to have real hope. And I want you to have real hope. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this little spot in Bellingham, we get to have real hope from the Word of God. But the world gets fake hope all the time. It gets presented fake. If you just get it together, then it's going to be okay. That's fake hope. The real hope is why we're here. Why we sing these songs and we may sing them poorly. We may sing them off key. We may, man, I wish we had more fire when we sing. Because it's so true what we're saying. Jesus Christ, our only hope. The lion and the lamb. The good news of Jesus. But he's not just another flavor of power and control that the world's trying to suck you into. Telling you how to succeed. Telling you how your tough marriage can be made like a good marriage. How your struggle with bad habits can be overcome. Five steps to improve. That, that's, that's not the message that we have from the Bible. From Ecclesiastes. I want us to have valuable lives, meaningful lives. How does that go as this wisest man ever is presenting to us? Where do we find it? How do we then live? And, and that's the message we're into, particularly today in chapter 4. And if you want to go there, it's kind of right in the middle of your Bible. Ecclesiastes is. It's the Old Testament. It's after Proverbs. Chapter 4, and today we look at power. And, and it's a big issue. You may not realize it's a big issue. It's a huge issue. In fact, it's something in our society right now that's a huge. Who's got power and, and who's the victim and, and, and what's going on? We want to think about power together. Because... Because this piece, this man, wisest ever, looks at our lives and says, you know, there's a power dynamic in play. Interesting. Really fascinating. Chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes, that's where we're at. We're going to start with being powerless. Well, advance for me if you can, you guys, on the slides. I'm not, or maybe I can do it here. Ha! First, we're missing it. We really don't have power like we'd like to, or we, we see the need for it, right? Look at the text. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. Okay, so we're lacking power. That's what our, our preacher starts with, and this is not good on earth. Right? He sees the unjust use of power. I, I don't think he's talking about only the, the massive cruelties, and, and he's not saying there's no comfort on the other side. This is a parallel little construction that says, right, I saw all this oppression, and the people that were oppressing had power. There's no one to comfort this group. This power that they're using, there's no one to, to comfort. And comfort doesn't mean hug them. Comfort means take up their cause. That's what he's saying, right? And again, not massive cruelties like the Rwandan genocide or the horror of slavery or the forced subjugation of people. Certainly that. The tears of the oppressed. He's talking about this dynamic. There's the oppressed and there's the ones with power. This is a dynamic on earth, right? 
It, 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 it happens all over. There's the playground. There's the big kid who wants the toy of the little kid and takes it. He's got power. What? The strength, the physical power. You know, the government, you know, until very recently or even now, the government wants your house, eminent domain. They take it. They've got political power to take something from you. It's about celebrities who get away with wrongs, right? Because they've got power. What connections? Where they get preferential treatment. You know, these days, you know, shop owners have people blatantly steal their stuff because in the eyes of public opinion, that's okay. That, that, that's, a, that's a power. You say, well, it's the other way too. You know, they've got, they've got economic power that's, that's systemically oppressing people and say, yeah, yeah, that's so true. All these dynamics, right? You can, you can define things in terms, and there's whole sociology movements that define things in terms of power dynamics. Relationships, right? Who's got the power? Is it the dominant, angry spouse who's kowtowing the quieter spouse, their physical power, emotional power, political power, anything, right? And the preacher, he, he looks at this, this wise man, and he says, it's wrong, and I weep at it. The wrong done through the use of power. So at different times, we're on different ends of the spectrum. But it's, it's happening all, all the time, right? You get it. It's not hard to see. And you can start start thinking it through. Powers is, is sort of, it, either in a big group, you can say, hey, well, how do we solve it? We're going to give it, we're going to make it the best people have the power because then they'll do it right. And maybe maybe these big political systems, communism, where the people have the power, or, or capitalism, where individuals have the power, or we think in that. But, but even dealing down to the individual, good people should have the power to do things justly. Like, let's just all get along. If we could do that, that would be a solution. Are you kind of with him? Understand where he's going? Because he doesn't go there. He doesn't go, let's, let's figure out how to find justice. Where does he go? Well, here's where he goes. I thought the dead who are already dead are more fortunate than the living who are still alive. Whoa. But, but, but... Better than both is he who has not yet been and who has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Okay, this is a big deal because I know where I would go in my thinking. I would go to let's make it right. Let's find people who are comfort to take up the cause, to make things right. He goes into, man, it'd be better to be dead. In fact, it'd be better not even to have lived than to see the things that are done. His answer is not justice. He's saying the dead are more fortunate than the living. That's kind of easy to understand. They're not experiencing oppression anymore. Even better, the one who's never been born because they never had to see the impression because you can't unsee it. You experience the unkindness and the evil of this world and it leaves a mark like PTSD or something. Something's wrong with this world. You see it, right? No matter what political spectrum you're on. Now, I know my own experience isn't as bad as some others. I've been to Africa. I've seen people who eat once a day, and they, they don't have anything. And I feel like, wow, I'm the, I, I, I'm the oppressor in this. I've got so much stuff. I, I'm, there I am, my power. How am I exercising it rightly? And we're alive, though, all of us. 
And when I see things not going my way, or I see that power isn't equal, then I think what I need to do is get me, who I'm reasonable and good, or other people who I know reasonable and good, to get some of the power so that we can make things better. So let's talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about obtaining power in in the best way possible, because I want my people and the the people who are good thinkers and maybe good lovers of Christ or something, we want to get the power so that we can affect things for good. I don't like oppression. That's good. Then I saw, he says, verse 4, that all toil and all skill in work comes from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Okay, he, he hasn't changed the topic. On the the... the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Okay, wait wait a minute. Did I skip a verse? Where's verse 4? There it was. All toil and all skill and work comes from man's envy of his neighbor. Is that true? Because this is the world's answer to oppression, right? Let's band together and work against oppression. But that just comes out of what? Competition. Think it through. Don't just accept him. But he's saying this to you. So I don't really want to look at it. I don't agree with him. Let's just, I'll keep my own system. No, wait, this is, this is the wisest man ever. And he's speaking about your work. And he's talking about why you strive, why you work hard, why you do things. And he says it comes out of what? Competition. Because my logical sort of existence, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to establish justice. That's my goal. My goal for working hard is that I might have power, and my power will be used for the downcast, for the downtrodden. I will help other people with all that I do. And and the the preacher says, no, that's not quite right. You know, it's really in vogue right now to be associated with a victim group. I'm going to lift up the victim group du jour and I'm going to help them from my position of power. Do you see the problem with that? Whether that's what you want to do or not, I'm, I, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying from the preacher's point of view, anybody who has power is getting power so they can do what they want, which puts somebody else out. When you favor one group, then you're disfavoring another group. Who's deciding that? The person with power. So you're creating oppression everywhere you go, power person. You can say, well, you know, in the deep history of the United States, there's been this imbalance, so that's my reason for... That's fine. You can have reasons why you're oppressing other people, but they are still oppression. You don't get to escape. By noble motives. Right? Toil and skill and work, this man says, comes from our, our desire to establish our own power, competing with other people to be better. Our system, our lives are founded on this competition. Trade and skilled labor and empires for sure. You know, go get, build a better widget. People say, oh, I like your widget better than that widget. I'll buy from this person. You get more stuff, more, more money, more resources, more connections, more power. I want to win. 
dollars, influence, connections, but also everybody wants to be seen as having skill and ability, the independence by our own hands. If we can win, we'll matter. We'll hold the reins. We'll have established power. And then we can, in our own minds, equitably and kindly, from our perspective, do what's right. Well, I'm just, I'm just pushing at you with the guy that's talking from the Bible. It's, he says, Hebel. That's this idea of hugging the wind. Why? Why can't I do Why can't I get all my... Uh, do, do, I, I do compete. I compete in the marketplace of ideas. I get resources and gather them together. Maybe I, I say, hey, I'm going to do a good project. I'm raising money for a nonprofit. Give me power. Give me resources. And then I will do something good with it. Why can't I do that? You can. Why is it a problem? Because he's saying it's a problem, right? Yeah, he is saying it's a problem got to understand the system we're in so he says this he says the fool folds his hand and eats his own flesh that's he's saying don't be a fool the fool does nothing fool says i don't work i just sit here and he eats his own flesh it's like he has nothing he just eats himself no we work for our 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 sustenance he who doesn't work doesn't eat that's that idea is in the bible this idea that we need to be people who work okay so that's that's true but, but he says, better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. See, when you go full-blown into it and try and gather everything together so that you have the power and the strength, that, that's, that's striving after wind. It'd be better for you just to have a little handful. That's in other places in the Bible. It's like don't want to be too poor, don't want to be too rich kind of idea. What's our problem? I, I can't. I can't just say I want a little. I can't because that's, I'm, I'm talking about myself now. I'm, I'm using I. I. Maybe you can. I, I, most people I met don't. They, they want to they win. I mean, I've gotten better at this of not playing games to win. My kids would say no. You can tell. <laughs> They can tell you a story about what's the game where you get on on the little colored circles and you twister me playing twister with my three-year-old i kind of had to win <laughs> i hate to lose if you're gonna do it do it that's my thing man do it. but when we all have that a little bit i mean we don't love to lose so say i i have this drive in me and and especially once you start putting injustice and oppression and vic and real power you're like wait a minute Wait a minute, it's not good to be oppressed. I don't want to be oppressed. Ugh. I'm not really talking about sort of the fear of Russia invading and killing us. I'm not even talking about the current cultural questions we're having around what identity groups have power and how political groups should be divided in, in society. But, but it's starting to get closer to that last one because it's personal. That's where we live. Uh, we're trying to find meaning. And mostly it's a meaning based on ability. Value. I deserve, I want, I find meaning. And having some piece of power, of control, of winning something, being good at something. I have a little fear of being nobody. Nothing. Walked on. 
having someone lord it over me. I, 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 you know, I, I make even doing less a virtue, right? Kind of we, we, we do this a lot. We see I'm stronger by being more regimented and disciplined in my consumption. That's a big deal right now, virtue signaling around. You know, I, I have a very small footprint. Look, I'm being very constrained. That's a strength. That's a goodness. That's a value. That's a meaning. I'm finding meaning in my low-carbon footprint. One of the big troubles with that is it's all relative. You have a small carbon footprint compared to who? Well, compared to you. Sorry, I'm randomly, I'm not even looking at you. But you, I'm better than you. I mean, it's somebody out there, right? I don't make it then my neighbor Joe. I I, I make it then some random thing out there versus the mean. I'm I'm doing better. I'm taking a step forward. I'm I'm more contributing to society. I'm I'm being more careful. I and I'm finding my value in that. It's a power, right? We're motivated by having more of what others value, more virtue or more kindness or more money or more expressions of goodness. So, so it's not only about getting a bunch of money. It's about power, ability, control, strength, virtue, the ability to be winning. If winning is giving up power, then I'll give it up. I'll win by looking low. Yeah, that's just another form of pride, right? Look, I can be the best. I'm the best at speaking about the gospel. No, that, that's the problem. It's pride. C.S. Lewis says this about pride. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only of having more of it than the next person. It's the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. So the preacher says experientially, because he's looking at oppression. Oppression is bad. These guys with power are oppressing the weak. And he, I, I, we need to, to make that right, right? Why does this happen? Why are we this way? Maybe it's so we pass it on to our family that we love. or there's, We haven't talked about love at all. I mean, so he says this. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there's no end to all his toil. His eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. So maybe the why would be, I'm not doing things for me. I'm doing it for my kid or my brother, my relative, for somebody else. But, but it's, it's, it's rarely this. I mean, mostly we toil even for my, my kids' appreciation of me or my, my, my family's appreciation of me. That, that's flavored all in this. But, but boy, if you don't have that, why do it at all, says the preacher? Because community is really important. That's where it goes. Two are better than one. One of the famous, famous verses in Ecclesiastes, two are better than one. They have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Uh, Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. How can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who's alone, two will withstand them, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. This is not talking about me, my friend, and God. It's an observation. Community is sweet. 
When there's, there, there's, there's a power in being together, a strength. Keeping warm, it's not talking about some sort of marriage relationship. He's talking about your friends, compadres. It would be better to be all together, but a spirit of what? Competitiveness drives that away. I mean, what I try and do is expand all my group, right? So I try and say, okay, here's me, and, and, and I'm like trying to get value and trying not to be oppressed and trying even to use my power for good, and then I'm going to expand that to another group so we can all be in community together. We can use power to influence. What happens in that case? Does that work real well? Come on, you guys been in a family? I mean, again, I'm talking deep stuff today. It's, But here's your family, and all of a sudden, all the conflict that goes on with every kid in your family. Why? They want to be themselves. They don't just want to be part of you. By the way, with you at the head, of course, because you're the benevolent power. No, they, they want to have their own. They want to break off and do their own thing. They want to go out of that. They want to go outside. They want to do things their way. They, they, they'll come back. They don't want to visit you because <laughs> how you raised them. They, they want to do their own thing. You realize that, that these these groups don't work. Why? Because each and every person continues to be a competitor. Continues to have their own ideals and their own ideas of what's right and their own ideas of what's going on. This this idea of competition and therefore power and even oppression it runs through our relationships. And you get your own independence, your own power, your own ability, and it it does hurt other people. They get hurt. It hurts community. Who's a better driver, you or your husband? And if you lay down the law on that stuff, will someone get hurt? Who's more consistent in their quiet times? Who avoids drinking too much? Who, who does more of the housework? Who's the first to say, I love you? Once you start comparing and evaluating, you start moving towards protecting yourself, distancing, and, and the community thing starts not to work. It's hard to be a threefold cord if you're thinking of yourself versus the other person. And at some level, at some level, we do this all the time. That's what he's bringing out. It happens in churches. It's hard to see ourselves on the exact same team. We think differently. We want our own control. Our inability to lose reveals our own insecurity. We want a culture of affirmation, which means agree with me. Man, I want everyone to just be in harmony. What's harmony? Well, thinking what I think. I mean, that's a joke, right? That's not true. You don't have to think like I think. But, but we start thinking this way. We start thinking, I've got the truth. Even from the scriptures. Here I am with my scripture. I think, well, here it is. You know, anyone who doesn't, thank you, thank you, Lord, for not making me like that guy over there. Do you know that's a direct quote of the Bible? That's a direct quote of Luke 18? The Pharisee who goes away to his house not justified and not going to heaven versus the guy who's just like, have mercy on me, God. I, I got nothing. Okay, so let's back up and summarize for a minute. I've thrown some heavy things at you. Let's back up and summarize before you go forward into some more hopeful things. One is oppression is real and it's terrible. Right? I mean, the abuse of power is common and it's evil. And it comes in a lot of flavors. 
That's one. So the second thing this man says is it would be better if we could not compete for power at all. It would be better, but we do seem bound to. It seems bound to whatever makes us people. Okay, is that okay to say? And then the, the third thing so far is, is so my response to this is to try and get power. I, I don't mean like a dictator, but I mean all the things that that entails. I mean either money or connections or intellect or something that will give me standing. My model is to give the, my model in my mind is to give the right people power so that good things will happen. If I give someone with a good heart power, then benevolent things will happen. Okay, so that's kind of, sometimes our life, I'm just laying out one model of how you live life. You, you, you do search for power, but you try and use that power for good by giving it to the right people. Let's evaluate that for a minute, says the preacher. Let's evaluate power in that way. Because he says this. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. Okay, stop. Here we go. So if we could find the right people, right? That, that what we need to find is someone who's been poor, who understands the oppressed, who, who knows what it's like, and, and we'll give power to that person. We'll, we'll say, wow, it would be better for the poor and wise youth doesn't have this track record of evil oppression, and, and that's the person, that, how good that is. He is better than an old and foolish king, a person with power who doesn't listen. Man, that's like every revolution movement ever, right? So let's do that. Get, get the young, humble, wise kid. For, for he went from prison to throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. Okay, be careful. Oh, we're valuing power that, that, that this verse 14 is not talking about the youth. It's talking about the king. That's the antecedent for that. So, so that the king, uh-oh, he had been in prison and rose. He had been born poor. Uh-oh, he's got a story. Maybe he has a better story than the poor youth. Well, it doesn't matter. Get rid of him. Get, get the new poor youth in. That's the idea. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. So the preacher says, I see the massive community, the great movement to get that young, wise youth into the place of the foolish king. There's no end of the people. He found a community that gave him the power and he understood because he was poor and he had little and he was wise and he could handle problems solved. <laughs> um... Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after the wind. What? Problem not solved. You get a young, wise, 
poor, understands oppression and the value of wisely using power. People support him. He, be, he, he what? He becomes old and foolish. And he's replaced by another. And eventually, people don't like him either. That old king used to be a young w- youth who understood. And then he gets older and he gets inflexible. And he gets patent. And now we've got to replace it. And the cycle goes on. It's a cycle, right? There's no end because the substrate is bad. The story is forgotten. The oppressed becomes the oppressor over and over. Remember David? Oh, I remember David. He was a young, wise, amazing son of Jesse, and he he gets to be the king, and he replaced that wicked Saul. Who was Saul? Well, he was searching for donkeys, and God just, amazing story of lifting him. Oh. Well, but David was better. We had David. Uh, yeah, David, who's sending Uriah to his death so he can have his wife. That's called the abuse of power. God eventually takes his throne away. The cycle goes on, right? I don't want to look at it. I want to have a hero. I want the hero to be good all the way through. The hero's not good. That includes me. That includes you. It's all, he says, the preacher says, Hebel. Hebel, smoke, vapor, Abel. Remember Abel? Oh, he's pointing at Abel. He says, this is all vapor. This is all Hebel. This is all Abel. Remember, he, he worked hard. He, 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 he had his flock. He took the best of his flock. Sweet man. And he offers it to God. And, and God accepts it. Oh, this offering of joy pointing forward to Christ with the, the sacrifice of the lamb and the blood. Oh, me. And then he gets killed. Well, I'm very certain that what God did with that oppression and use of power is he killed the guy who killed him. That's called Cain. And God didn't. What? Try to understand that. It's not understandable. We're surrounded by wrong. We see it. What I want to do and what we're, we're doing with this book of the Bible is we're going through and letting it hit us with I can't grasp it. It's not that it's meaningless. That'd be the wrong word. It's ungraspable by me. This life that we're living and the things that we really see, because I see oppression and I see power abused, and my answer is for me to get it or to give it to someone who will use it rightly, and I think I can, and then, and then eventually they're not using it rightly. It's like the, the person anti-authoritarian becomes authoritarian. Boy, if you haven't watched that happen in our society, you've been sleeping with your eyes closed. Why does that happen? And I'm not tearing anybody down. I'm just saying that's what we do. And we, what we try and do is say, well, I'm going to be Christian and I'm going to get a better value system. I'm going to use the law. I'm going to use the rules of God, which are perfect and good and true, and they are. And I'm going to evaluate people based on that and we'll pick the good ones. What's the problem? No good ones. That's the problem. But I'm good. 
My friends are good. We'll be a good team. Yeah, give it a little bit of time, says the preacher. That's what he's saying. It just doesn't work. So, so, so Dax, okay, you're kind of saying there's just, it, it's all not understandable. Yeah. Well, how does that help me? Because we've got an amazing, amazing reason to rejoice this morning. Is that God delivers us. This is why I come to church on Sundays. This is why I actually am part of a body. This is why I don't just live the very best life I could with the, with the most strongest moral outcome that I can to be the most impact on this world that I could be because at the end of the day, the impact is zero. But there's an announcement from God that he delivers Not God makes you a winner. You remain a loser here. Not God gives you power, but God raises the dead. The dead who have died from oppression. (laughs) The ones who have not experienced justice outside the law. Through what? Through making them powerful. No, through forgiveness. The weak made strong because of God's grace. His ignoring of the merits. His gift of life to all, right? That's what he said to Paul. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power, this is God speaking, is made perfect in weakness. Oh, so I'll boast more glad of my weaknesses so the power of Christ may rest upon me. My inability, my lack of power, not my bounding together and getting, accumulating other people so we have power. Like that's the purpose of the church, to get us all together so we're a force for good. Whoa, 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 whoa. Weakness, you know. The one who actually had all power, who holds the whole universe together right now, he could make people live or die with a word. He became one of us. That, that's what we read this morning in Philippians, right? Having been found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's not talking about, oh, and you should too, so you'll be powerful. No, 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 you'll never. He did this for us. We can't even imagine well, what's actually there, what, what life becomes. We are in Christ. We don't know what it's going to be. And so we kind of, we look with puzzled eyes at this world, even each other in the world, because we're in the world. We're not of it. And we agree, don't we, that it's vapor, it's hugging the wind, it's not meaningful. And and so to find community for us is to give up power. And we really can't do it. I can't do it. I I don't know from the people I meet and talk to you guys, you can't do it either. It's ingrained. I continue to find fault in other people because the faults are real. Sin is real. Okay, there's a way, but it's weird. Because here's what I want to do. I want to impose on you and give you the information so that you become better and more powerful, more able, more connected, more polish you up. And and that's not the way. Improvement's not the way. What's the way? Forgiveness. You realize how radical that is? You realize how radical it is for you? and, and, And I don't know if you've thought this through, but I hope you have, that forgiveness is so radical 
Because you're not improving anybody. We, we try to, we say, well, I'll forgive you if, and we'll put the conditions of their improvement in the if. But that's not the Bible. The Bible is someone says to you, I am broken, and you say, you are forgiven. I got no power. You're forgiven. I abuse you. You're forgiven. By you, certainly, but by God is the thing in the blood of Christ. Forgiveness means to let it be. That's a theomai. That's the word in the New Testament. That's it, it, uh. But when I walk in society's ways, and I have to because I'm, I'm, I'm in the flesh, I, I want to claim oppression and get it done. I want justice for me. I want justice for my group. I want justice for the people I see that have been hurt. I, I get it. That's, it's not wrong. It's just not the way that actually goes forward in any sense because by having to do that, I take power myself and then that group oppresses somebody else. So it's not about restoration. It's not about reparation. It's not about improvement. It's not about getting better. It's about letting go. And it's exactly the inability, the the non-meaning of that, that the preacher in this book finds so difficult because it shouldn't be. This, This world isn't working, he says. Shouldn't God establish power and justice for the good and the true? But there aren't any good and true. Not you and not the government and not those currently oppressed and somehow flipping the switch and giving people who have been oppressed the means to oppress other people. That's not going to get anywhere. The only help we have before God is receiving forgiveness. Receiving the blood of Christ in the gospel. He is the answer to our power problem, not by us giving it up, but by us seeing ourselves as hopelessly lost and found by God who became human for us. Because he let Abel die and Cain live. Until what? Until he resurrects the dead. This world will never be the same. My hope is in that, that the resurrection is coming and God exercises his power as he wills and he forgives you and me by the blood of his cross. Tell you what, in spite of that deer, somehow my tree is still alive. They don't look like much. They're not powerful tree but something continues to give them life in spite of me. Not because of my digging, not because of my soil, not because of my care, but because life happens by the power of God. Will you hold on to that? Your God is for you.